At the start of 23, the Holy Spirit pressed upon me as a minister of this church, Isaiah 60, and, and I brought it to the church, and we felt, and the, the elders and the leadership, we, we felt it was a word from God that he had spoken over us as a church, not just for the year that had passed, but for the year and years ahead. It was Isaiah 60 in the verse 3 verses. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the whole earth, and a thick darkness the peoples which we're seeing today right before our eyes. But, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon your life. And then the nation shall come to your light and be saved. Thank God, and we believe this is still a promise that if we arise up and shine the light of the gospel, that souls will be saved through our ministry. But we have to rise up, church. We have to keep going. And I want to bring out this morning um, something that's going to encourage you to keep going. Because you're going to see there's, there's spiritual things, spiritual things that want to keep you back, want to keep the church back, spiritual things in the heavenly places that want to and are attacking the church. And I'm going to bring that to you this morning. And I believe the Holy Spirit has put it in my heart for 24 that this is going to be a year of courage and faith for you and I this morning, this year, a, a time where we're going to have to find courage within ourselves to rise up. We're going to find new faith to do and believe God in all, in all of these things. And God's preparing a people, and he's training up a standard, a standard that is going to stand against this influx of evil that we're seeing, and you and I are part of it. We're part of it. We're being trained up to rise up in these days, and I'm going to prove this to you. We live in a time where much of the world has forgotten God. Christian, don't forget God. What are you talking about, pastor? How can I forget God? Too many Christians have forgotten God. Too many Christians don't believe that God is God and that God can hear and answer prayer. If Christians all truly believe that those who diligently seek the Lord will be rewarded, they will be diligently seeking the Lord. We live in a time where much of the world has forgotten God. Church, let us not forget God. Let us not forget Him. Few people in this world give thanks to God. Give thanks. Listen, few people give thanks for the simple things like food, for His goodness each and every day. Even the most ungodly, unrighteous person gets the blessing of rain, gets the blessing of sun, gets the blessing of God in their life. Give thanks. Few people remember God and few people thank God. And the reason I'm highlighting these things is because our hearts are prone to these things. Now, what I've just said happened to Israel after Joshua died. And in Judges chapter 2, before we read our text this morning, listen to what it says. In verse 10, it says, After that generation died, another generation grew up. Now listen. After that generation of mighty men and women of God, when they had great victories and the conquests, after they died, a new generation grew up who did not acknowledge God. Or remember the mighty things in which he had did in and for Israel. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a window into what I believe the generation we're looking into, a generation in judges that forgot God, forgot God's provision, they forgot to give thanks, and they forgot the great things that he had done for them as a nation. Now, the people of God, my generation, your generation, I'm going to say something I hope stirs you up and even annoys you a wee bit because 
the people of God in this generation that I find myself in, we've forgotten how to fight the great game, the great fight that there is for souls. The enemy is having its way with Israel in, in, in that time, and she had forgotten what it was to stand in the fight against the enemy. It had surrounded her. But what we read in Judges, and what, if you were to go through it, you see where, where God was about to break in and change that. God's people were about to be trained. This generation that had come off the blessing, if you like, for those who had fought before, who had become lazy and forgot to fight, God was about to break in and He was going to train them. And I believe we're that generation, we're going to find new courage and new faith as God trains us for battle. And a light was about to shine among the people of God and the judges. He would raise up judges, and every time He would raise up judges, victory would come. And then another evil king would come when the thing would repeat itself. They had to rise up judges. And I believe this is a year where we're going to continue to rise up for God and be a light among the people. So the training of the Lord is what I'm going to start off with. We read our verses 1 to 6. Remember what I said, now the training of the Lord. The training of the Lord. Now this is what it says. These I'm reading from the NIV here. These are the nations that the Lord left to test or to prove, maybe your translation says, and that word means to train. So let me read it this way. These are the nations that the Lord left to train all of the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach them warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previously had battle experience. I want you to notice the nations that God left among the people to train them. These are Israel's lifelong enemies. It's funny who God puts on our path to train us and prepare us for, for battle. Listen to what it says now. These are the five, or sorry, there are five, the five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living among, Lebanon, among the Lebanon mountains and Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given them to their forefathers through Moses. Now, here's the thing. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Persites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Father, I pray this morning, God, as we come before your word, Lord, as we consider these nations that, Lord, you allowed to remain, and Lord, who you used to to train up the people of God, to, to stand up against the wickedness of this world. Lord, that you would train us, God, and help us to see that, Father, the, the challenges, God, the, the enemies that are around us, Lord, within us, that, that, Father, these are, Lord, things that you have allowed to remain in this world, Lord, to, to keep us sharp. Father, to train us, Lord, in, in this great battle for souls. And, Father, I pray as we go through some of these this morning, Lord, that we would recognize the influence of these, this enemy within us. Lord, how these unseen influences, Lord, these evil, Lord, 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 the realms of the heavenlies, Lord, how they seek to distort and destroy and to hinder godliness. Lord, we thank you, Lord, your word says that you will raise up a standard, Lord, to come against the, Lord, the flood of evil, Lord, when it comes. And Lord, I believe that, Lord, we're that generation, God. We've, Lord, we, we've come from a generation, Lord, that knew what it was to fight for the things of God, that knew what it was to chase after the lost, and Lord, walk into the darkness with the light of the gospel, and seeing great revivals happen. And Father, Lord, I pray we're living off the blessings of that, God. And 
And Lord, in that, Father, we can forget the fight that there is. Lord, we can come, become complacent, Lord, even, and Lord, even begin to rub shoulders, and Lord, even enjoy some of the evils that we find ourselves living among. Father, I pray in Jesus' name this morning that your spirit would fall afresh upon each of us within this church, that, Lord, we would find ourselves wholly attentive, Lord, to what it is you're saying to us, God, that, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word this morning, that, Lord, we would be doers, and, Lord, that we would see, Lord, that within us is these great evils, Lord, in and around us, Father, the same enemies that, Lord, that faced Israel, God, faced the church today, and that, Father, we would know that greater is he who is in us and is in this world. And, Father, there's nothing that you have allowed to come against us, Lord, that, Lord, that you haven't used and will not use, Lord, to strengthen us and to prepare us for war. So, Father, I pray for your blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, I want to say this to you this morning, if you're taking notes. The eight enemies that lived among Israel are the same eight enemies that face the church today. And I want to show you this to help you rise up and live for God. That's why I want to show you this, because I want to help you rise up and live for God in a deeper way in 2024 and beyond. Now, these eight nations were not meant to be there. I want to say this quickly. God did not want them living among the people. They were there as a result of Israel's disobedience. They were, they were meant to go into them lands and completely clean them out. And we know by the stories that they didn't, they let certain people live and certain things happen. And they later would grow up to be great enemies, great nations that would to this day be standing at, at Israel's door and giving her trouble. So it was a result of Israel's disobedience. But God later, we see, he left them there. He let them stay among Israel. Why? Well, he left them for two reasons. He left them for the training up of his people, for warfare. He left them there to teach them the ungodly influence of sin. So they could be aware of it. They could see it. They could know it in their life. And I want to bring that out to you this morning. The eight enemies of Israel, the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, Hivites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Persites, and the Jebusites. I want to just bring these out to you. I'm not going to do them all today. Don't panic. Ephesians 6.12 says this, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Now listen, but against evil rulers, and the authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, listen, against evil spirits, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. If you don't believe you're influenced by unseen evil spirits, you're a person who doesn't believe what the Bible teaches and warns about. You wonder why people act in certain ways and think certain ways. There's an evil influence upon each life, and the Bible makes that very clear. And I want to highlight the evil spiritual influence that the church will face as she seeks to rise and be a light to the lost in this world. I want to encourage you to take notes this morning, to take photographs of some of the slides this morning, because these are things that are going to help you live for God. These are things that are going to help you rise up and live that life that you want to live and desire to live. These are things that will help you be the person that you desire to be in God. So I want to encourage you, take notes Get your phone out, take notes in it, take photographs. Do what you have to do to get this word into your heart. Because only when we know our enemy will we be better equipped to recognize its influence in our lives. That's it. If you can't and don't know your enemy, you're defeated. You will be defeated. If you think you have no enemy, you're defeated already, church. You think of the year that's passed. And for those of you who put your hand to the plow, you will know some of the challenges that came our way. 
you will know some of the difficulties that we faced and some of the challenges we even face now going forward into this year. There will be, fo- there will be enemies that will come against the church that seeks to go on for God. It's the reason why many churches are sitting stagnant, because quite simply put, it's easier. That's it. It's easier. It's easier just to do the church bit, get on with our life. It's very, very challenging to fight in that spiritual warfare and go on and do what God has asked us to do. So the spiritual meaning in the names of the Israelite enemies has got great purpose and, and, and in, in, insight for you and I today. And we're not going to get through them all, but I want to start off with the first one, the Philistine. I understand these were real enemies of Israel, and each of their names has spiritual meanings. It gives, the Bible gives more insight into who these people were. A name in the Old Testament meant a lot. It wasn't, it wasn't like Neil, just a name. It sounds like there wasn't much thought put into it, to be honest. That was not the case with Israel in the Old Testament. Names meant a lot. And these names were put there for a purpose, the Philistine. Now, the Philistine was Israel's greatest enemy. I want to say that to you. This is the, this is the enemy that they would fight often. And you and I have many battles in our life. Some battles we fight more than others. Well, the Philistines was like that for Israel. They were their, their greatest, most persistent enemy. And they would often fight and that will happen to us as we go on, church, for the Lord. Now, the Philistines were known for being aggressive by nature. That's the type of people that they were. They were, they were pushy. They were aggressive. They had a bit of bite, okay? The people would have feared them a wee bit. The name Philistine means to self-wallow or wallowing. Now, that in itself is telling. Now, the dictionary tells us that wallowing, what wallowing means. It, it means this. Now, listen. To give oneself over to a feeling or give oneself to a way of life. Now, I want you to be listening this morning, church. I'm sure you are. How many of God's people have fallen to the work of the Canaanite spirit and made wallowing a way of life? Think of it. How many Christians spend their life wallowing, feeling sorry for themselves, highlighting how hard their life is and how they've been wronged, and where's God in it all? Listen, we have times of the right to wallow, but we, what we have not the right to do is make it a way of living. It's no coincidence that this is what the name Philistine means, to, to, to make wallowing a way of life. I remember Ernie Ackerson, the man that's gone on to be with the Lord many, many years ago. He was, he was known as Uncle Ernie within the church. He's the man that first got me encouraged to go to the meetings in the homes and to pray and to help. He's the man that started to get me involved in ministry, if you like. And he used to always say this and sing that wee hymn. Some of you might know it. I didn't really know it, but he always used to say it. Oh, the children of the Lord have a right to shout and sing. Does anybody remember that old hymn? Well, listen, the children of the Lord have a right to shout and sing, for the way is growing bright and our souls are on the wing. We are going by and by to the palace of a king. Oh, glory to the Lord. Hallelujah. He used to sing that all the time. All the time. I'll never forget, he went, we went to a home one day. He was about 80 odd himself. And he went to introduce himself to one of the, the, the people that he thought was in the home. And the man stand, stands up and says, I'm sorry, sir, I'm not in the home. I'm visiting. And he, he was embarrassed, highly embarrassed. He thought the man was in the home and the man was not impressed. But listen, he had a joy. He had a joy for the Lord. He didn't wallow. Now, church, please, I hope I don't come across aggressive like the Philistine this morning. 
and passionate. Don't mix, express, uh, don't mix up passion for, for, for anger. There's none of that. But I see these enemies in my life, and I know they're in yours, and I want to go on for God. I want to see people's lives change, and if you recognize these enemies, you will be able to live for God. Let us not make wallowing a way of life. An example of who wallow is this, to wallow in self-pity or to wallow in, self, or to wallow in riches. Now, only a few get to wallow in their riches, but we all get to wallow in self-pity every now and again. Now, self-pity is a great enemy of the church. Self-pity stops churches from getting on with their calling because they're too busy looking at what the other church up the road's doing or done. Instead of focusing on their own calling. We read in verse 3, look at verse 3. It says this now, we could miss this. The Philistines had five rulers, okay? Now, it's been said that these five rulers, five uh, kings, um, attacked the church and keep her from rising up and winning souls for Christ. Now, each one of these is a sign to wallowing. And I want you to watch out for these rulers in your heart. Now, I come across an article that highlighted these five, and I thought these five just fitted perfectly. So I'm going to use these five. Self-pity is a ruler in your life. Self-depreciation. Self-importance. Self-indulgence. And self-pleasure. How easy self-depreciation comes into the church. How can I do anything for God? What can I do? Sure, sure, why would God use me? And yet, there's many times perhaps you've been asked to do something, to be part of something, and you've allowed that spirit to say, no, sure, how can I do it? Who am I? Who's any of us? That's a spirit. Self-important. Some people think, you know, I'm too good. They mightn't think it in them words, but too busy. Why would I? Why would you ask me? You see, you have to be careful. Self-indulgence and self-pleasure. I remember walking down the street, and I seen this T-shirt, and I thought it was quite funny. It was a woman wearing it, by the way. Not, not that this is any reflection on the female uh, community at all, but it said this, please don't interrupt me while I'm wallowing in self-pity. <laughs> I'm sure men wear that too. These women aren't happy with that, so you're not. Please don't interrupt me while I'm wallowing in self-pity. Oswald Chambers wrote this. Self-pity is of the devil. If I wallow in it, I cannot and will not be used by God for his purpose in the world. There's a man of God that understood the dangers of wallowing. And if we allow ourselves to wallow, we will not arise and we will not shine for God. The Philistines was Israel's greatest enemy, and their name means to wallow. And therefore, that tells me that self-wallowing is the greatest enemy that the church will face. The Philistine spirit, self-wallowing, beware of that. I want to move on now, so you need to take notes, you're going to miss these. The Canaanite spirit, the Canaanites. The Canaanite name means merchant or a trafficker. Canaanites had a reputation as traders. They liked to make the buck. Here's the thing about them. They inhabited any village or any city. They didn't care where they went. I want you to see this. As long as they could make money from it. They didn't care who you were or what you were, as long as they could rape it. As long as they could take for themselves. That's all they wanted to do. Now, this is telling. The area they inhabited had no value to them. They couldn't have cared less about it. 
All they cared about, but any land or any village that they went to was what they could get out of it for themselves. Now, this spirit is more visible today than it was in the early church. The early church was committed, we're told. We're told that they shared with each other. They helped one another, and they reached out together, and the disciple together, they helped one another. The word fellowship was lived out in the early church. Be careful, church, of the Canaanite spirit that makes one a consumer of God's house and not a giver. Be careful of that in our hearts. This mindset of going to church simply for what we can get out of it can come into all of our thinking. Now, how many times have we heard it said by people, well, that church or their church has nothing to offer me? It doesn't meet my requirements. It's not for me. Now, these are the sort of attitudes that can come to our, to our hearts very quickly. These type of words are of the Canaanite spirit, which was the enemy of God's people. Now, here's what I would say to that. If we are lacking in this church, let us together make changes that we're not lacking. If, if there's a ministry that we haven't yet got in, that up and going, let us talk about it and get it up and going. It's not, not the attitude. If there's something here that isn't meeting your standard or, or something here that could be done better, well, why don't we work together to make it better? That's not the Canaanite spirit. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the spirit of God, where the body works together, lives together, and helps one another. Do you see the difference? That's the Canaanite spirit attitude. What can I get out of it? The Canaanite spirit loves money. It's all about personal gain. And I thought to myself, where was this seen? Do you know where it was seen in the Old Testament? It was seen in Achan. Do you remember the story of Achan? God told Israel to go into Ai and to conquer it, but to take nothing from it. But Achan's eye was tempted by the Canaanite spirit. And he took the money, we're told, and the gold, and you remember the fancy robe that come from Babylon? His eye seen this lovely thing, and he took it, and God told him not to. And by his actions, it caused Israel to sin and the whole nation to be defeated in that war. And what that warns us is that we need to be careful of this desire to consume as a believer, because it's the natural thing in a fleshly man to desire to consume but the man of God must worry, and the woman of God must be concerned about these things. Another example of the Canaanite spirit is in 2 Kings. There we read about a man who took money from Naaman. You remember the story? God healed him of leprosy. And we know that Elisha rebuked this man, and he went to him. He says, you cannot take money from this man. You can't profit off God's work like that. You can't charge for, for healing. You can't do them things. And what happened to that man was, that man was cursed, and he received the very leprosy that Naaman was healed from. And you see, that's the work of the enemy. It seeks to entrap the, the child of God, the church, to bind her, uh, and that's what that sort of stuff does. Prosperity preachers, think of them. They fill their pews with people while they empty their pockets. And what we know about these people is they fall into the Canaanite spirit. What can they consume? Because if I tell you, if you sow a thousand pounds and you get a hundredfold, and you, you go with that, you've got that spirit. You want to gain. You just want more. There's a greed. It's not of God. And that's we, we, we see this spirit at work, and it, it's getting into churches. It comes from pulpits, and it's deceiving multitudes. Think of Judas, one of the twelve. He coveted money, and he betrayed the Lord himself. In, in 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul warns the church that, that covetousness has actually caused some to some sentences to fall away from the faith. So we need to be careful of the Canaanite spirit. 
and we need to be careful of this love uh, for money and this desire to gain. There's an old saying that I always use when I speak about money, and it says, make sure that we are controlling money and that money isn't controlling us. If you do that, you'll be all right. And you should know what I mean by that. Make sure that we're controlling money and that money isn't controlling us. And when we do that, we will be be able to arise and be used of God. Get your heart and your hands to the things of God. Get it off the things of the world. They have their place. Get your hands dirty. Put your hand to the ploy. Go after the things of God and your heart will be safe. Then we move on to the next one, the, the Hittites. Now, the name Hittite is derived from the name Heath, which means sons of Terah. Um, now, I think that's quite self-explanatory what this one is. This represents the spirit of fear that seeks to dominate the church. Um, this is a real one, isn't it? Fear. Fear is a real one. Do you ever experience fear, Christian? To do anything for God? I want to tell you, when I went to the college, I stood in the car park. I felt that I wasn't able, worthy, didn't want to go through the door. The Lord gave me a word in the car. Right through it, there was fear. Fear of man, fear of failure. Fear, 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 fear. The first morning I ever come to this church under Stephen, the fear come upon me was shocking. And many of you wouldn't know this, but Stephen just happened to go to the toilet, and he met me in there. I was trembling. And he prayed for me. Fear, don't underestimate the power of fear. It's enough to make men and women run. The time we'd done the mission, I never had fear like it. I had fear that I didn't know how to preach the gospel. Who was I to be doing this, get somebody else in? Who are we as a church? Fear that nobody's going to get saved. Fear that God, oh, fear, fear, fear. I had a hundred reasons not to proceed, but one to proceed. God told us. Fear. Why am I being so honest? Because I know the power of fear. Don't think any man or woman of God who's been used of God doesn't experience fear. It's the biggest snare. In fact, it's still a hindrance. The things that I think I could do for God, but fear is stopping me even today. Fear, okay? It's a spirit. It's not of God. Let's, Let's just say that. But it's a real thing. And everybody who wants to go on for God is fear. The Hittite Empire, listen to this, it was a large uh, uh, nation and its people was everywhere, everywhere. Fear, everywhere. And a man by the name of Samuel uh, Rideout, he says this, he wrote a book, it's called Lectures on the Book of Judges. Let me read this to you. The Hittites dwell everywhere and if you allow them, they will settle down in your mists. They will close your mouths and you'll be afraid to speak. Why is there so much silence among God's beloved people? Why is there so little testimony in the gospel? So little ministry amongst the saints? So few voices heard in the prayer and praise in the assemblies? Is it not because the Hittites are allowed to dwell while in our very mists? You are afraid to speak a word for the Lord Jesus. Afraid to lift up your voice in thanksgiving. To lead the prayers and praises to Christ Jesus. You're afraid to take your stand for Christ and confess Him fully. Afraid to do that which your conscience and indeed the very Word of God declares should be done in you. Oh, the Hittites' emperor is indeed a wide one. It reaches everywhere and their dwellings amongst us is a witness how we have failed to cast them out. Yet, 
Thank God. Their very presence among us is a call from God to rise now and to put them from us. To be done with fear, to be done with all this terror, this holding back, and to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Oh, have you ever been at the prayer meeting and you want to pray? Oh, and you're, you're afraid to just get going. We all are there. We all do it. It's fear. But fear is something that we need to liberate ourselves from. Now, there's healthy fear, but this is not healthy fear. Fear is the work of the enemy. It sought to surround Israel, and it, it, it caused her to stop trusting God. That's what the Hittites did. Now, the Hittites represent a spirit of fear, but God didn't give His church the spirit of fear. The enemy spoke that fear into the church. God gave His church a spirit of what? Power, of love, of sound mind. Sound mind. Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. Any nurses? Those of you who are nurses among us this morning, you thank God for Florence Nightingale. She recognized the need to train nurses, that these people were trying to help people that just didn't have the ability. And as, if you went to a college to train as a nurse, it's because of Florence Nightingale. She's seen a need, and she's seen the need to equip mostly women then, but indeed men too, to be trained, to properly train or to properly help people. And this was her experience. This is what she said. How little can be done under the spirit of fear. The amount of mocking and fear that she had a fight against is to open up these places of training and education for nursing. How little can be done under the spirit of fear. And the enemy of the church knows that too well. Proverbs 29 says this, The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be protected. The spirit of fear is the spirit of the Hittites. Amen. Is this good enough for you? Is this enlightening for you this morning? Do you see some of this in your life? Some of this that hinders us goes on for God. See, the Word is live. It's active and it's powerful. You can make it as dull and as dead as you want. Oh, and many men do a good job, and perhaps I'm guilty at times myself, but it's living and it's sharp. And I love the sharpness. I'm sure you get that from me. I love it. I, I love that challenge. And I pray that you are challenged this morning, that you recognize these spirits, these Israel, enemies of Israel, and that Hittites, the spirit of fear. Now, we have time for one more. The Amorites. The Amorites. Now, the word Amorite means to, to talk, a talker, or to speak. It came from a word that means self-boasting or um, commanding itself. Now, the Amorites speak of words without action. That's what the Amorite spirit is. It's great boasts. Um, I would sometimes say they're ocean-wide, but puddle deep. This is what the Amorites were known for, the Amorite spirit. It, it causes people to think highly of themselves. Uh, and funny, when we met the prayer this morning as elders, one of the men prayed, Lord, help us decrease. Lord, take away any pride, take away anything as of us, you see and that we can lift up you and go on for you. And that spirit causes a church to think highly of itself. Think highly of itself. To talk the talk, but not walk the walk. Now, I love this, because 
I think if we're all being honest, there's times where we've talked the talk. There's nothing wrong with a wee bit of a talk. It, you know, makes a good story. But it's not a way of life for a church. And as we live for God in 2024, as we rise up and shine against the darkness of this world, let us watch out for this in our lives where there's words but no action. Words but no action. See, when I say something, I am a bit more accountability. I have you to hold me accountable. <clears throat> and we started speaking of mission, which we're going to be doing this year as well. We, we just haven't finalized things to, to speak to you about, it, but it's happening this year somewhere. We're, we're going to be doing that again. We're certainly going to be doing mission. And we just want to make sure we get that right before we speak about it. But we can't, we can't make boasts and then not follow through. That, that's what I'm trying to say. As churches, churches can't do that. First Timothy 5 says this. This goal, the, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, some have departed from these things, these good godly things, and they've turned to meaningless talk. You see, what, what Paul's highlighting here is there was, a, there was, there was a, a fragment of Christianity that they weren't living the way they ought, but they were talking the way they should be living. And he was pulling this out. They've, they've departed from the true faith. They just talk now. All there is talk. But there's no living. There's no truth. There's no changing. And don't fall into that trap, church. That, that's what we're saying. But it's a spirit. Meaningless talk causes us to talk the talk, but not walk the walk. And James says this to the church. He says, listen, do not merely listen to the word that's being preached to you, because you only deceive yourself. But in fact, do what it says, because it's God's word, God's instruction. And we all can be guilty of times of, of this. And, but let us not fall into the trap of the Amorites. All word, but no action. It was James who said that these things. Faith without works is dead. We don't want to say, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith uh, by deeds, by my deeds. Do you know the book of James nearly wasn't going to get into the canon of Scripture? Why? Because they, they said it was a book of works. And what they realized was that any man... Any woman that's been born again of God, if they didn't have works, they're born again. Whether they were born again, that would be questionable. Because if our faith, our new man, doesn't make us live differently, there's a problem. Isn't there a problem? So the book of James was very quickly ushered into the canon of Scripture and realized, in fact, works is something that is nothing to do with salvation, but everything to do with a new birth. And that's the bit I love. Paul say, or James says, listen, you can say you're saved all you want and you can do your deeds, but I'll show you I'm saved by how I live, how I live for God. Didn't have any words, but he had actions. But these Amorites, listen, they were also known as mountain people. And when you're high, what's that make you think? Like, I'm a wee bit higher than you. You're a wee bit lower than me today. But that's just the physical stance we stand. It's not the reality of life. But these people started to look down on people. That's the Amorite spirit. Be careful of this, that you don't look down at others and think you're that wee bit higher. Is that what that spirit does? It gives them the sense that they're better. That's the Amorite spirit. The Amorites elevated themselves over others, and that would cause them to boast publicly. They would engage in self-promotion and, and, and personal gain. They were great talkers, but absolutely no action. The psalmist says this in 94, speaking of this type of people, they pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. 
All who do wickedness, they flaunt themselves with big words. That's the spirit of the Amorite. Empty, prideful and boastful. It's not the spirit of the church. Amen? Let us boast. If we're going to boast, who do we boast in? We boast only in the Lord. Amen. We're done. We're done. We have more to do. We have lots more to do, but we'll do that next week.